Welcome back to Deconstructing Crypto, a podcast with Todd Fishman speaking and my partner, Gene Angolia. Gene, how are you today? Hey, Todd, doing good. In this second episode, we want to discuss emerging RICO applications in digital assets. In September 2022, the United States Department of the Treasury released a series of reports regarding the development of digital asset markets. In one of the reports titled Implications for Consumers, Investors, and Business, the Treasury Department highlighted a series of conduct risks associated with crypto assets. The department observed, and this is a quote, crypto assets and markets that operate out of compliance with applicable laws and regulations or are unregulated can breed fraud, abusive market practices, and disclosure gaps. Certain practices in the crypto asset ecosystem have resulted in financial harm to consumers, investors, and businesses, unfair and inequitable outcomes, and damage to the integrity of the market. On a parallel path, regulatory enforcement against digital asset firms continues unabated. In late September 2022, the SEC announced charges against a crypto asset market-making firm and its senior executives for their roles in effectuating the unregistered offers and sales of crypto asset currencies called Hydra, and for engaging in a scheme to manipulate the trading volume and price of those assets. In particular, the SEC alleged that the defendants hired a third-party South Africa firm to use a customized trading software bot to create the false appearance of robust market activity for Hydra. As we mentioned in our first installment, Standalone violations of the federal wire fraud, bank fraud, and securities fraud statutes could be packaged together as a potential charge under the U.S. RICO statute, the Racketeered Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. In the U.S. courts, for example, disappointed investors have filed a sprawling $258 billion racketeering lawsuit accusing Elon Musk of running a pyramid scheme to support the cryptocurrency Dogecoin. Gene, can you fill us in? What is RICO? What are the elements of a RICO charge? And can you talk about criminal applications to digital assets? Yeah, absolutely, Todd. So the history here for RICO is that uh, concerned with organized crimes, widespread criminal activities, the U.S. Congress drafted the RICO statute to protect the public. And to that end, the legislature gave prosecutors, quote, a general tool to bring any prosecution that the Justice Department thinks is desirable but that does not fit under any other heading, unquote. So pretty broad. And the use of a RICO as a general tool depends on two statutory sources, the expansive definition of enterprise and the wide range of criminal activities covered by the statute. In order to provide the broad powers required to prosecute organized crime, the bill evolved beyond Congress's initial purpose to prevent infiltration of legitimate organizations to include all manners of criminal activities connected with an enterprise or said to be connected with an enterprise. So what are the elements of a RICO charge? RICO punishes a person for engaging in a pattern of racketeering activities connected to an enterprise which affects interstate or foreign commerce. So the person, the pattern of racketeering activities, and the enterprise are usually the litigated elements of an alleged violation. A core element of a charge is the pattern of racketeering activities. And that can include a broad range of state and federal crimes, drug trafficking, money laundering, murder, kidnapping, gambling, bribery, extortion, sexual exploitation of minors, among many others. 
and these offenses are commonly referred to as RICO predicate acts. Notably, as originally codified, fraud in the sale of securities was a predicate offense for purposes of both criminal and civil RICO actions. But as a result of the so-called RICO amendment to the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, which is often talked about as the RICO amendment, a civil plaintiff may not, quote, rely upon any conduct that would have been actionable as fraud in the purchase or sale of securities to establish a violation, unquote, of a primary RICO claim. So a person engages in a pattern of racketeering activities by committing two predicate acts within 10 years of each other. Courts require a relationship between the predicate acts, although obviously that's a pretty broad time range, and some continuity between the acts in order to prove the pattern of racketeering activities. So that's pattern of racketeering activities. Let's talk about enterprise. An enterprise is any legal entity or group of people associated in fact, although not a legal entity. A legal enterprise requires only proof that the entity has a legal existence. The quote, very existence of a corporation meets the requirement for a separate structure to prove an enterprise, unquote. An association in fact enterprise is simply a continuing unit that functions with a common purpose. In order to show that a group is an association in fact enterprise, the group has to have the three structural features laid out by the Supreme Court in a 2009 decision Boyle versus the United States. And those are a purpose, relationships among those associated with the enterprise, and longevity sufficient to permit these associates to pursue the enterprise's purpose. So under the relationship test in Boyle, an enterprise in fact does not need any specific structure or specific relationship among the parties, so long as the individuals are associated in fact for a common purpose of engaging in a course of conduct. The final feature, longevity, is satisfied by, quote, proof that the enterprise had affairs of sufficient duration to permit an associate to participate in those affairs through a pattern of racketeering activity, unquote. So the operative section of the statute is divided into four subsections, just to make it uh, even more complicated, and here they are. Section 1962A, which prohibits any person from investing in an enterprise, with proceeds derived from racketeering activities. Section 1962B, which bars any person from acquiring an interest in an enterprise through racketeering activities. The third one is Section 1962C, which outlaws operating an enterprise through racketeering activities. And finally, four is Section 1962D, which provides that it's unlawful to conspire to violate the other subsections. So you've all mastered that just with that really concise explanation, and we're going to go on and talk about criminal applications to digital assets. To date, we have not yet seen a RICO indictment filed in a crypto market case. That said, a relatively recent criminal indictment filed against precious metals traders of a large financial institution could provide a roadmap for future action in the digital asset space. In that criminal case against those traders, five precious metals traders were indicted on charges of spoofing under the Commodity Exchange Act, bank fraud, and RICO conspiracy. The allegations for bank fraud consisted of the traders making false statements to their financial institution as a result of the spoofing trades, so essentially to their employers. Following an August 2022 trial, 
two of the more senior traders were acquitted on the RICO charges, but found guilty of the underlying spoofing conduct and the related price manipulation and bank fraud charges. This case could provide a template for criminal charges in crypto markets. Prosecutors could bring individual violations of wire fraud, securities fraud, price manipulation, and bank fraud, and then use that to build out a more complex overall RICO conspiracy. With that, Todd, I'm going to hand it back to you to talk a little bit about civil applications to digital assets. Thank you, Gene. Um, A recent civil application of the RICO statute appears in a class action filed in the Southern District of New York that is styled In-Ray Tether and Bitfinex Crypto Asset Litigation. In an extensive pleading, a group of individual investors who purchased crypto commodities detailed a wide-ranging conspiracy to artificially inflate the prices of those digital assets. The thrust of the plaintiff's allegations was that a group of related Tether and Bitfinex companies and executives engaged in a scheme to make large, carefully timed purchases of crypto commodities using a fraudulently issued crypto asset, called Tether or USDT, in an effort to signal to the market that there was enormous organic demand for those crypto commodities, thus causing the price of those commodities to spike and thereby creating and sustaining a bubble in the crypto commodity market. The plaintiffs brought claims under four categories of actions. One is the Sherman Antitrust Act. Two are the civil provisions of RICO. Three is the common law toward a fraud. And four was the New York General Business Law, Section 3449. Though the district court sustained in substantial part the plaintiff's Sherman Act antitrust claims and the Commodities Exchange Act market manipulation claims, the district court nevertheless dismissed the claims under RICO. The court noted that all the alleged predicate racketeering acts, that is wire fraud, money laundering, bank fraud, unlawful money transactions, and operation of an unlicensed money transmitting business, arise out of essentially the same conduct covering up the unbacked nature of USDT by circumventing U.S. banking regulations and then using the unbacked USDT to purchase crypto commodities. Focusing on the elements of standing and causation, again, which are elements of the civil claim but not a criminal violation, the court agreed with the defendant's arguments that any loss occurred by the plaintiffs was too attenuated from the purported racketeering activity to establish proximate cause under RICO. The court specifically cited the intervening activity of third parties, that is, those users who exchange crypto commodities for the allegedly unbacked USDT, which breaks the causal chain. Separately, the district court also dismissed the investment of racketeering proceeds claim under Section 1962A. In particular, the court ruled that the plaintiffs did not allege a separate legitimate entity purchased through monies raised through racketeering. Thank you very much. That's our episode for today. Gene, do you have any further thoughts? Well, I want to tell everybody to look out for episode three of Deconstructing Crypto, in which we will discuss, among other things, whether the DOJ's much ballyhooed first ever digital asset insider trading case is even an insider trading case anymore. 